Well, good morning, everyone. Happy, happy St. Patrick's Day. In our household growing up, it was a, a very special day, not because we were Irish, but because it was my brother's birthday. And so um, overnight, our milk magically turned green, which was just the coolest thing for kids. Not so much for my dad, but um, it's great that Jason fills that role well now. Um, our kids love the green milk, too, um, but he refuses to drink it until it turns back to white again. But anyway, I hope your morning's been wonderful. It is time to worship our God together as a family. So stand up. and We are going to sing about his love that never, ever, ever fails us. You 
God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, sing it out. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. Last week we had a little math lesson um, during first, our study in First Corinthians, and it was um, just I hope you remember. And if you don't, you can just take a listen to the podcast. But we are greater than the sign. The alligator wants to eat the bigger thing um, than our selfish desires, and we are greater than the things of this world. We are greater than the standards of this world, and we've been called to live a, a life that's greater than what we're kind of expected to sometimes by the world. And I just want to give you another math lesson this morning. I'm going to continue it on. Put God on that side. God is greater than anything that we will face. He's greater than everything. And I don't know how big your problem is today, and I'm sure it's pretty It's pretty big from your from your point of view or from where you are, but God is always bigger than that. And he's always greater than that. And so I want to challenge you with this this morning. If God is greater than anything, what should we be afraid of? Thank you. 
dear God, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you, God. And Father, this morning we glorify your name. And we thank you for your faithfulness and for your love. We thank you for never leaving us. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we've allowed our problems to um, overshadow your greatness and your goodness and your love. So Lord, help us to put our problems in the right place. And that's in your shadow, Father. And we know that you're bigger, you are greater than anything. And Father, we know also that we're not perfect yet. And so we know there are lots of changes that need to be made in our lives. We need to be rewired. And I ask, Father, this morning as we dig into 1 Corinthians again, that you would continue to change our lives, Lord. can Change the way that we think, Father, and the way that we live through your word, Lord, and through your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning. My name is Dennis. I, I wonder, have you ever thought about why we sing on Sunday morning? What that's all about? I mean, clearly it's not just to make sure that a service lasts for an hour. I could talk for an hour. So it's, it's not about that. And for that matter, if we didn't sing and just kept a normal length service, we could be out of here in 30 minutes. And some of you may smile with that as well. Singing, um, singing the songs that we sing really, really highlights the, the collision point of our lives, where we live every day. We live in what we view to be reality, you know, the junk that happens in our lives, the stuff that's happening around us all the time. And we bring these songs to them that talk about angel armies and talk about a God of power, a God of love, a God who is there that that is just with us in every problem that we face. And we bring this truth to the reality in which we live to remember that there's really a, a much greater reality going on all the time. So you walk in this morning and and you may be carrying something, something pretty heavy, some junk going on in your life. And and to be able to sit and sing those songs reminds you that that there's a reality that's much greater than the junk. And I can't think I can't help but think this morning of a of a town just a little bit south of us. Uh, They lost four of their kids this past week. Four high school kids uh, are no longer in this life. And this morning, as you think about it, there are churches gathering in that town that know that one of their kids isn't there. They're, the school, they know that four of their kids aren't there. Um, parents go into that bedroom and they don't see their kid today. And as we cheerfully sing about angel armies, we need to realize that there are moments like that that happen in life that we need to remember God is just as real then as he is when it seems like life is floating along okay. In fact, that those kids dying has even impacted some of the families of our own church kids in our own church who are friends with those kids. And so I thought as we got started this morning, uh, we would do our best in prayer to minister to that town and to those people and to those families right now. So I'm going to allow you, you know, about 30 seconds to a minute to just go ahead and pray. You say, I don't know what to pray. My goodness, if you've ever suffered loss, you know what to pray. If you've got a child, you know what to pray. So take a moment to, to pray to yourself and then, and then I'll bring it back and close.
God, we need a dose of reality. We need a dose of heavenly reality. Because the, um, the realities of this world sometimes are just, they're harsh, they're, they're heavy, and they're unbearable. And um, a normal life can be tough sometimes. But, but when the big stuff happens, when, when kids are no longer part of this life because of an accident, um, wow, we need, we need a dose of reality. We, know that there is, we need to know that there is not just a God in heaven somewhere far away, but there's a, there's a Jesus Christ standing right behind us. There's a Holy Spirit living within us. There's a room full of angels surrounding us right now. We need to know the real reality. And so I pray today as we've had the chance to, to sing to you and to worship you that it has readjusted our thinking. It's brought our perspective into proper view once again. And we're seeing what's really going on, the spiritual life that we live every day and not just the physical life that we see with our eyes and, and the emotion that we, we feel sometimes as we hurt. God, we do lift up um, our friends to the south of us today, those that have lost their kids, parents who are, who are grieving, uh, schoolmates who, who have lost friends. And I don't, in moments like these, it's so hard to even know what to say. We feel, we feel the burden so deeply, so heavily. And we, God, we know that you feel that burden as well. You lost a son. You know what it's like. And so I pray that you would bring uh, your comfort and your peace to these people today. And as well, that, that this moment of the harsh reality of this world might wake many people up to the realities of what goes on beyond this life. We pray this all, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so where were we? I don't know if you remember, but last week came to an abrupt ending, especially in this service. Uh, it was the kind of ending that I promise you I would have had points deducted if I were teaching in a seminary class. I would have, I would have had some problems. It, it was like I slammed on the brakes and the poor kid behind me without a seatbelt, boom, did a face plant into my, into my seat. Boom, we were, we were done. We quit. It turns out that I kind of, uh, let's see, misunderstood the time. I was off by a little bit. I needed about 10 more minutes. And, and, you know, I really had hoped to deal with 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in, in one fell swoop, to just go ahead and, and get it done. But, but honestly, um, I'm glad we didn't. Because what I realized in hindsight is that it's, it's really difficult to take all the truth found in that chapter and deal with it in one 30-minute uh, teaching session. So here's what I promised you today. The landing will be smoother. We'll have a smoother landing today, okay? Uh, you, so you remember from chapter 6, Dana already mentioned it, that, that Paul was giving the Corinthians a bit of a math lesson. He was teaching them about this math symbol, the greater than math symbol. And, and he had some things to say about it. His point... You, you are greater than this. It was, a, it was a theme that ran through all 20 verses. Three different topics, and in each of them, Paul is saying, you're greater than the way you're acting, so, so live up to who you are in Christ. While he never says the words greater than, he does use a particular phrase. It goes something like this, don't you know? Or don't you realize? He uses it six different times. Now, if you're studying the Bible and you see a phrase like that used six times in 20 verses, what you need to know is that's significant. That's significant. Repetition like that needs to be seen. In verse 2, he said, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? In verse 3, he said, don't you realize that that we'll judge angels? 
Verse 9, he said, don't you realize that those who, who do wrong, who habitually live in sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. He goes on to say, don't indulge in sexual sin and, and other sins. The final three are all found in the passages we'll look at today, found in verses 15, 16, and 19. So when Paul says, don't you realize, it's his way of saying, come on, gang, you know better. You know better. Don't, don't live this way. You're, you're better than this. You're greater than this. Well, what are they greater than? Verses 1 to 11 covered the topic of lawsuits. There were people in this uh, early church that were bringing lawsuits against each other. And very simply, Paul is saying, you're spiritual beings. Remember that. We are all spiritual beings. And we're greater than the secular system in which we live. So we need to live above it. We need to live better than it. Rather than settling disputes between each other, using the relational ethics of Jesus and taking the time to to use the wisdom that they had gained through God and through His Spirit and through His Word, they instead took their disputes to non-believers. Non-believers who, you know, may not necessarily overtly have rejected Christianity, but they hadn't chosen to live their lives by the principles of Jesus. And Paul says, that's a problem. We, we shouldn't be looking to others outside of the family of God for advice about the way we're supposed to live. Now, let me throw in kind of a semi-related note here, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm really a big believer in getting counseling when you need it. Sometimes you're stuck. Sometimes you're in a ditch, and no matter how much you rock, you can't get yourself out, and you need someone else to help you. Having said that, I think it is always a good idea, if you're going to go to a counselor, to go to someone who comes from a biblical perspective, a biblical counselor who who shares the values you do, who shares biblical values. Again, not necessarily that they're anti-Christian, but they're people that you know are going to help guide you in what what the Bible says, in in what God has to say. Now, I know anyone can throw a fish symbol on their Yellow Pages ad or on their website. I'm not saying, you know, just obligatory Christian do that. No, when you're looking for this kind of advice, I'd spend some time talking to them about how is the Bible going to relate to the kind of advice you're going to give me. If I'm going to get outside input, I want that person to be inside the kingdom of God. I want it to be someone who values Jesus as much as I do. And I know that the, uh, the input and the advice that they're going to give me is consistent with what Jesus would say. In a sense, while Paul is not you know, directly talking about that, I think this principle applies when we look at this text. If I'm seeking any sort of guidance... If I'm seeking, you know, legal advice about something with another believer, if I'm, if I'm trying to settle a relational dispute or a disagreement, I always want to go to someone who's living out the principles of Jesus in their life because I want them to give me advice that's consistent with what I believe and what the Bible has to say. You're better than this. You're better than this. You're spiritual beings being guided by the Holy Spirit. So you don't place yourself voluntarily back under the authority of a secular system, a godless way of thinking. You want to put yourself under the authority of people who will think godly thoughts. As a spiritual being, you are greater than the secular system in which you live. So live above it. That's what Paul's saying in this first part. Now, now we come to verses 12 to 14. And that brought us to the sec- second issue. He said, as spiritual beings... 
Uh, you are greater than the sum total of your desires. You're not just a package of appetites wrapped in skin. You're greater than the sum total of your desires. The Corinthians had a favorite phrase, and Paul quoted it. It's found in, in verse 12. Here's what he, they said. I am allowed to do anything. I am allowed to do anything. Now, they weren't literally saying, I can do anything. I have the freedom to do anything. They knew there were some things that they were not allowed to do. While they had not yet watched the epic classic by Cecil B. DeMille and seen the fantastic, stunning performance of Charlton Heston, they were quite familiar with the list of Ten Commandments handed down by God through Moses to his people. They knew that God had spoken. There was no question about that. They knew that there were things that were permitted and there were things that were forbidden. They had no question about that. They're they're not just wanting to throw out the whole Judeo-Christian ethical code. That's not what's going on here. What they were doing is what a lot of kids do. They're playing the middle. They they were playing with, with the middle part. They were saying, we know there are things that God said we can do. We know there are things that God said we can't do. But there's this stuff in the middle, this area where he said nothing. And then that area, this line applies. I am allowed to do anything. Now, we all recognize that Christianity 101 is, you know, it's about knowing right from wrong. What is right? What is wrong? How does God want me to live? How does God not want me to live? And until we know what is right and wrong, we can't really uh, address the sin issue that, that is taking place in our lives, the sin issue that is, that is breaking off our friendship and fellowship with God. The, the law was given to us to help us to know that we had stepped out of bounds and how far we had stepped out of bounds so that we could come ultimately to the solution that God had provided through his son, Jesus Christ. What Paul does say in these verses is, as spiritual great beings, you're greater than the sum total of your desires. You're not just all about fulfilling your desires and satisfying your appetites. Just because you want something and God doesn't say no, doesn't mean it's right. Now, what Paul is going to do here is lay out two principles. And in fact, he's going to give us a third later in the book. Three principles in all that help us to make moral decisions in areas where God has not clearly spoken, where he has not said yes or no. And for the, for the purpose of this example... Um, I'm going to talk about alcohol. I'm going to use that as the illustration here right now. You know, it uh, seems appropriate in light of the way many people celebrate the uh, Feast of St. Patrick. All right, so in light of the day, that's where we're going to go. I could use other examples, but I think this one, this one will help you. Someone might say, God never mentioned Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, or any of my other friends by name, so I'm free to have at it. I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, first, what we need to know is God is not totally silent in this area. He's not totally silent in this area. In fact, he's quite definitive. In Ephesians 5.18, sorry to break up your party. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an imperative here, a command. Do not get drunk. It's in black and white, in Greek, in English. It means the same thing. Do not get drunk. Clear as day. 
Now, Paul doesn't end there. I love this. He's kind of like a good parent. He doesn't just give the command. He says, why? The why behind the what? Why not do this? He says, well, first of all, it'll ruin your life. It's going to ruin you. It's going to lead to some destruction, you know. And then beyond that, this is the greater issue. He says, what you're going to do is place yourself under the control of something other than the Holy Spirit. Brian and I were leaving Wrigley Field one day back when uh, Brian was a Cub fan. And uh, as we're walking out, there were two guys drunker than I had ever seen drunk in my life. I mean, it was just, it was, I was scared for them walking away. And as I looked at them, I couldn't help but think of the spiritual analogy. We're supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit the same way these guys were controlled by the alcohol that was determining every action in their life at that moment. That's the big deal here. That's the big deal here. God is not anti-fun. He, he doesn't think you should walk around all day with a frown. He, he didn't say don't get drunk because he's a party pooper. He said it because he wants something better for us. He doesn't want our lives to be controlled by habits and substances. He wants our lives to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we're controlled by the Spirit, we will experience ultimate satisfaction. We will live out what God desired for us. So that part is clear. Do not get drunk. Having said that, you will never find a verse that says, do not drink. My church growing up tried to invent one, but there isn't one. There is not a verse in the Bible that says, do not drink. So if the Corinthians were speaking to this particular issue of alcohol, they would say something like this. I am allowed to do anything up to the line of drunkenness. Up to the line of drunkenness, I can do whatever I want. Now, What Paul does is lay out some guidelines for making moral decisions. And and what I'm going to do right now is just kind of move to the realm of parenting for a moment. So parents, have any of you to date published a manual of everything your child is allowed to do and everything your child is allowed not allowed to do and handed it to your child? Have you done that? Come on, let's see a hand. Yeah, I suspected that's the reaction I would get. None. Of course why? It, It would be literally impossible. It would be literally impossible to come up with a list of everything you can do and everything you cannot do. Now, having said that, Many of our kids have done something that that in the Greek would be translated uh, ultimately as dumb. They've done things that are dumb, and they've said something like this. Sorry, front row, I know you've done this. Well, you never told me I couldn't do that. You never told me I couldn't do that. We've all been there. We've all done it. We all at some point said to our parents, you never told me I couldn't do that. That's what these guys are saying. You never told me I couldn't do that. All things are permissible. You never said no. Well, what your kid is doing is playing the First Corinthians 6 card. They're saying, I thought if you didn't say no, it was okay. It is not possible. It is not practical to list every possible rule exhaustively that could ever apply to human behavior. There's no way we could hand our kids or anyone else a moral dictionary that they can look up and find every possible action that could ever take place. No, what we need to do with our kids and what God has done for us is provided principles that we can use to make decisions in literally every moral situation. And that's what Paul does here. He gives them two guidelines in this verse. 
The first one, he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Not everything is good for you. If God is not given an explicit yes or no on a moral behavior, this is the first question I need to ask myself. Is it good for me? Is it beneficial? Will I be better or worse off for having done this? And maybe the most important question of all, as Christ followers who want to be like Jesus, will this action make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? I mean, it's just the bottom line of it. We're, we're asking ourselves that question. Will I be better off? Will I be closer to Christ or further from Christ because of this decision? Now, I'm sure there are going to be at least a couple people that want to argue with me on this. But for the most of our part, most of us would agree that Jack Daniels and Jim Beam do not make us better. I know some of you think, you know, oh, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot more relaxed. I can shoot more hoops. And no, for the most part, it does not make us better. Our lives are not moving up and to the right because of our friendship with them. We don't look or act more like Jesus when we're around Jack and Jim. We look a lot less like Jesus when we're with him. It may not in and of itself be harmful. But a believer lives to a higher standard. We always live to a higher standard. Remember three, the theme of the chapter. You're greater than this. You're greater than this, so live like it. The question is not just, is it bad for me? But it really is, does it make me better? Does it lead to positive life change? Am I more like Jesus because I am doing this? Now, I suspect that if we put this practice to a test in our lives... A few of us would, would, um, would, drop, would drop, not because God said no, because there are a few practices we would drop, not because God said no, but because we know it's not making us better. So that's something to analyze in your life this week. If the things I'm doing that I thought were morally neutral, making me better, bringing me closer to Jesus. The second standard is also found in this verse. He says, and even though I'm allowed to do anything... I must not be a slave to anything. I should not be a slave to anything. So back to Jack and Jim. Is it possible to be a slave to Jack and Jim? I mean, of course, we would all be nodding our heads. Yes, yes, it is possible. In modern terms, we might use words like addicted, addiction, addictive. Here's the thing. Most of us don't know if we're addictive until we take the first drop. We don't know. We just don't know. In my own life, I know two things. I know alcoholism runs through the blood of my family. I know it's there. And I know in other areas that, you know, I would like to say are far more innocent, though they are not. I like Big Macs. I like iPhones. I like iced tea. I like popcorn. And it's hard for me to say no to any of them. So what makes me think I'd have an easy time saying no to Jack and Jim? Remember, uh, I use the alcohol illustration today because it's obvious. But please, just because you aren't friends with Jack and Jim doesn't mean this isn't a problem for you. Because every one of us have something that we do or something that we enjoy that we've allowed to become a controlling factor in our lives. I hesitate using the alcohol example today because some of us will go, thank God I don't do that. Home, 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 and whatever else we do that controls our lives. We all have issues we're dealing with. And so what Paul is saying is, 
If God says yes, we do it. If God says no, we don't. But if in the middle, if God hasn't spoken, am I better because I'm doing it? And is it something that's pulling me into addiction? Paul lays out a tough standard here. I am a slave to Christ. And so I should be a slave to nothing else. Being a slave to something or someone else is not just a bad habit. It's not just a bad choice. It's a sin. And it's wrong. So if God did not explicitly forbid something, I'm asking the questions. Is this activity good for me? Does it make me better? Will I be more like Jesus? And secondly, we need to ask, is this action or activity addictive for me? Is it making me a slave to something or someone other than Jesus? And I told you he'll give us a, a third standard in coming chapters. I'm not going to go into it, but I'll, but I'll let you know what it is. He says, the third thing we need to ask ourselves is, how is this action impacting other people, especially new believers and non-believers? So as I'm doing this, I'm not just doing something that I like to do, but I'm looking at how does this impact people around me? What's the impact on new believers, particularly, and non-believers? But we'll save that for another week. So let's hit the rest of the chapter. Uh, This is the part of 1 Corinthians that's familiar to almost everybody, even seculars. I mean, we we know this part. You go to a gym, you hang out long enough, and somebody's going to refer to their body as the temple. You know, I mean, they're going to say it, right? The temple. This analogy did not originate with Sean T., Tony Horton, or Bobby Coyne. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think he should call the DVD series. This would be great. Bobby Coyne's House of Pain, all right? Assistants Moore and Stephanie. He winks a lot at Stephanie. And so everybody's wondering, is there something going on there? I'm not really sure what the deal is there. You know, in the front row, you have Johnny B. Johnny B is the common man who's always asking the questions. Am I doing my leg lift high enough? You know, all that sort of thing. Lorraine does this testimonial at the end about her first triple marathon. I ran 76, 72.6 miles in six hours because of Bobby Coyne's House of Pain. I did it. I did it. Oh, this could be fantastic. He even has a website, and on it, there's an app for the weather all around the world and an app for every Chipotle you could find in the entire country. It's fantastic. All right. Back to the Bible. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? There's another don't you realize. Your body is, you're, you're part of Christ. Should a man, and by the way, woman, both, this isn't just the guys. Should a person take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Paul is explicit. Never, under no circumstance, And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. He goes on to say, run from sexual sin. Don't no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize, there it is again, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, and do you and do you not belong and you do not belong to yourselves? For God bought you with a high price, the blood of Jesus. So you must honor God with your bodies. 
Paul said, as spiritual beings, you are greater than the secular system around you, so live above it. You're greater than the sum total of your desires. And now he ends the chapter by saying, as spiritual beings, you are greater than mere sexual animals driven by your impulses and urges. So live like someone who is joined to Christ. I mean, what a message for today. So many of the moral decisions of our culture related to sexual activity treat Humans, like animals, with uncontrollable impulses. We just can't help ourselves. What are we supposed to do? We can't say no. This isn't a lie from the 60s. This sucker goes all the way back to 1 Corinthians. It's been going on for a long, long time. Now, in our review of the chapter, we we skipped over verse 13. Verse 13 has this analogy there, another line that was, that, was, that was used a lot by the Corinthians. They said, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. And they're, they're laying this out as a way of saying, didn't God create my stomach to eat? Well, if he'd created my stomach to eat, then I should go ahead and eat. But they wanted to now take this incredibly illogical leap. They, they wanted to jump and say, if my stomach is for food, then my sex organs are for sex. So I should be able to just go ahead and do whatever I want, wherever I want, no rules. And Paul cries foul. He says, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. What an interesting line. The Lord cares about our bodies. Yes, we are sexual beings, but that doesn't mean we should simply follow any and every impulse that comes into our hearts and our minds. He then helps the Corinthians to see why their thinking is corrupted. He plays to a word that has a deeper meaning to them and has much more meaning to us now. He calls the body a temple. Paul is using an image that they know and one that you know as well. He's describing this, you know, you're looking at the skyline of Corinth over that plain, and there's a mountain that dominates the skyline. The Acro Corinth rises 1,800 feet above the surrounding plain, and at the highest summit is the Temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of human sexuality. She was worshipped through illicit sex acts, through prostitution, through orgies, and the like. And apparently some of the Corinthians said, I know I'm a Christ follower, but what's wrong with still doing that? Didn't God make me as a sexual being? What's wrong with still doing that? So Paul spells it out. He says, you are a temple. You're a temple. Now think about that word for a moment. Just, Just think. When you think temple, what do you think? I think words like sacred, sinless, sacrifice, the dwelling place of a deity. That's a temple. He says, you're a temple. Jesus lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Think about this. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you take Jesus with you. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you take Jesus with you. So the point that Paul makes in verses 15 and 16 is that when you go sleep with a prostitute, you're taking Jesus to bed with you, with her. And he wants us to see the seriousness of that. Don't you realize that our bodies are actually part of Christ? He is really arguing against the thinking of our times. In our times, most people say, "Ah, it's just sex. It meant nothing. It was no big deal. It's not true. It's not true at all. Each sexual act unites us with another person in a way that God only ever intended for you to be united with one man and one woman in marriage. He says it's not just nothing. It's serious. It's big stuff. So then he comes 
to verse 18. And he gives us more examples. He says, you are, you are a temple. You're the dwelling place of God. Sexual sin violates this temple. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. But most powerfully, in verses 19 and 20, he says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with the blood of Jesus. I no longer own me. I'm a slave of Jesus if I follow Jesus. I no longer call the shots. I no longer have rights in this matter. Somebody will say, well, sleeping around makes me happy. Don't I have the right to be happy? Uh, If you're a Christ follower, i got news for you. No, not that way. Not that way. You You don't belong to you. You were bought by God. You belong to someone else. You no longer call the shots. In fact, Paul gives uh, some pretty explicit instructions. He says not to think it over, not to sleep on it, not to debate it, not to compromise. He uses a word that Bob would appreciate. Run. Run. Run from sexual sin. Paul is saying escape while you can. Run. You know, we think of ourselves as pretty sophisticated. We're adults. We can handle a little skin in a movie. We can handle an emotionally charged relationship with someone other than our spouse. We can handle going up to the line as long as we don't cross the line. Paul says, no, we can't. No, we can't. This is one time it is not cowardly. It is courageous. Run. Run with everything you have. Paul calls on this to do it. He says, you're greater than this. You're a spiritual being, not a sexual animal with uncontrollable impulses, just needing to get some action. We're greater than this, much greater than this. So run. We're greater than the secular world system. So we don't place ourselves under the authority of it when we're making spiritual decisions. We're we're greater than the sum total of our desires And we are greater than simply sexual beings. We're greater than all of this. So Paul says, live up to who you really are. Don't live lower than you are. You're greater. Live up to who you really are. Let's join in prayer right now. Father, um, I thank you for this chapter. A chapter that honestly, in so many ways, cries against everything we're about as a society right now. And by society, I'm not pointing outside the windows. I'm pointing at us. Because, God, we've, we've fallen for a lot of these lies. We, we think we can do anything. We think it really doesn't matter how we treat our bodies. We think it, it really doesn't matter what our relationships look like. And, and you've said absolutely clearly, it totally matters. And so when we look at our lives and we wonder why they're not working, why they're, why they're falling apart, why it just seems like they're a mess, we can kind of look at our actions and say, well, well, we're playing the game the wrong way. Should we then be surprised that we're not winning in the game? I pray that you will give us the guts to live a life that's greater than the one we've been choosing. Help us to run when we need to run. Help us to make good decisions when we need to make choices. Help us to put ourselves under the authority of people who love you and not just anyone. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've taken any time to uh, look at the life of St. Patrick. If you haven't, I'd encourage you this afternoon to take some time there. Seems like a lot of people want to kind of skip over, just like every holiday, skip over the guy and go straight to the fun. 
Uh, really important to look at who this man was. A man who very, very early in Christianity brought, brought the Christian message to an entire nation. And he really believed in the process. He was fighting an intense spiritual battle. He, he, would, he had a prayer that he would pray, a prayer that, that has been popularized, modernized some. A prayer that, that talked about walking into battle. And he'd say, I rise up today in the strong name of the Trinity. I mean, he just, he knew he was at battle. And then as you go along in the prayer, there's this beautiful part. I love it. It's, now, this has been modernized a bit. First of all, it's not an ancient Irish. But anyway, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ above me. Christ beneath me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all who love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I love to take this prayer as I'm walking, and I love to just think through that. Christ is with me. He's, he's in me. I like to actually think he's behind me right now, guarding my back. He's in front of me, leading me. He's next to me, just like a friend. And so this morning during communion, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe just land on one, of, one or two of those lines and think about them in terms of your relationship with Jesus and in terms of the connection with this chapter. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we take Jesus with us. We can't leave him home. He's always with us. So reflect on one or two of these lines. Make it a useful piece of your communion time. Uh, our tray will come, and we're going to encourage you to go ahead and take the piece of the bread, a piece of bread from the middle, and eat it immediately as a symbol of your individual relationship with Jesus. And then we'll hold the cup and drink together as a symbol of the relationship that we all have with Jesus. Oh. 
As we walk through this week, Jesus, let us never forget. Let us always be reminded of your constant presence with us, in us, with us, next to us, leading us, guarding our backs. You're always there. You go with us everywhere we go. We take you everywhere we go. I pray we'd live that way. In your name, amen. Our servers will now come and receive the, the offering. You can place your offering in there and your card. And uh, I guess I learned of a, an informal hab- or an informal tradition we have, but I guess pens go back in there too. So if you want to keep your pen, you are free to keep your pen. You can take Bibles and pens from our church anytime. They are not stealing. They can walk. But if you want to put yours back, you can go ahead and put that. I know some of you have a collection of about 45 by now, and you don't need another one. So... Um, just go ahead and look at your folder this morning. A couple of things to remind you of on there. We, we tried to list for you uh, the dates of some of the summer activities that are taking place for our students. So you can go ahead and get that on your calendar. In fact, they have uh, some overnights coming up here. Is it this coming weekend or the weekend after? Rachel, you know everything, right? This weekend. All right, this weekend. Girls are at the Yost. Guys are at the warehouse overnight having all kinds of fun. So make sure you... Uh, you Cook up with that, participate in that. And then the other thing is, we talked last week about the the trout day down in Lake Milligan. If you'd like to go ahead and be a part of that. Now, understand, uh, it opens at 5 o'clock. Some of you are going, (laughs) you didn't tell me that. Well, you don't have to come at 5 o'clock. The lake's still there when the sun comes up, okay? But um, for some of you, yeah, you'll be whack and you'll get out there bright and early and wait an hour and then realize you could have come at 6. But um, what we're going to do on Saturday at 1015 at the warehouse is give you a little seminar on what you need. What, what documentation you need, what tackle works best. I mean, you're going to use a big old bass hook, good luck. You're going to stare at the water all day. So just some, some hints that will help you to be able to do that better. All right? Let's stand. And as we do, uh, we've already prayed. Why don't you go ahead and say hi to somebody and, uh, and have a great afternoon, okay? We'll see you later.